One quick message before I start the show. You can find all the links and resources for this episode by visiting the show notes on rickyrichards.com. If you enjoy this episode, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can help me to grow the show by leaving a review on iTunes. For anyone who does subscribe, review or share, thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Ricky Richards Represents, the show where I talk tips for success with leading figures of creativity and innovation. Hello and welcome to our final podcast of 2017. I know what you're thinking, Ricky sounds a bit different today, a bit more nasal, a lot more northern. Well, trust your ears because for today's show, he's given me, producer Adam, total control. Will he live to regret it? Hopefully not. Uh, over the next 45 minutes or so, I'm going to try keeping it tight, but loose, like Les Zeppelin. We're going to kick off by recalling the standout moments in a year of podcasting and creativity in a section I'm calling Ricky Richards Reflects. We'll then segue smoothly into what we're looking forward to next year in Ricky Richards Recommends. Then we'll bring it all home with a quickfire section, Ricky Richards Reacts. Ricky, are you ready? Ricky Richards is ready. I I, I keep telling you, you should be doing this because you're way better at intros than I am. I I fluff every single one, but uh, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready. (laughs) I bored, I just about tip over into cheesy Radio 2 drive time (laughs) DJ. A little bit, you've just completely obliterated my street cred. (laughs) No, no, it's decent. Okay, well, uh, I thought let's buy or let's kick off with our reflection section with a review of the great speakers we've had on the show this year: Rosie Arnold, Dave Bonagridi, uh, Doc Brown, to name but a few. Um, and I might say at this point, actually, if you've not heard, this is to the listeners: if you've not heard them all, then do explore the podcast vault as there's some great interviews in there. So my question to you, Ricky, is which of all of those interviews really stood out for you, and why? The way that I've tried to answer this is it was really, really hard to kind of put my finger on any one in particular, so I've tried to branch them into three three buckets of sorts. Yeah. Uh, the first one of which is technology, and I think this is something which, as you know, is a massive passion of mine. And some of the guests that we've had on to date, people like Henry Stewart, Jack DeRose, who, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that, it was done in the very early days with a terrible microphone, so maybe, maybe give that one a miss. We're going to have him on in the future. Uh, and also the yet-to-be-released Simon Gosling interview. And all of these people just blew my mind with what the potential of future technology is and how it may impact our lives. And when I look back on uh, what the world was like only 100 years ago to how it is today, obviously it's it's come on leaps and bounds. And so those technology interviews, the ones with these people that are leading the way, are really insightful. So that would be my first recommendation. The second one uh, is Rosie Arnold, Dave Bonaguidi and Andrew Diprose. So Rosie Arnold, who is the head of our AMV, Dave Bonaguidi, who's a serial agency founder and also an artist, and obviously Andrew Diprose, who this year won Designer of the Year and he's also the creative director at Wired UK. The thing that really stood out for me with all of these guys is just how much energy they had and completely infectious so the moment they walked in the room, they were the standout character. They were the one whose whole energy just gravitated towards them because they just had some something about them. And it, in a way, it's what I always expected celebrities would be like, that they would be a little bit larger than life. And yet here these three individuals are who would never say that they're celebrities, but they possess the kind of... Uh, gravitas and and energy that you expect from someone in in that position and so definitely recommend checking those guys out and then the third and final bucket is uh, Doc Brown and Melanie Mercer and the way that I've bracketed these is uh, just pure relentlessness and the reason I say relentless is because I know that there's a lot of people out there that are striving to do things and it's very easy to just get swept up in the day day to day, and yet here's Doc Brown who came from not a, not a great begin like a, a humble beginning, and yet all the things he's managed to achieve. And again, Mel, who is a is a female tech founder, and 
I watched her for three and a bit years just go at it day in, day out, grinding from seven in the morning to 11 at night and people that complain about, you know, a hard day's day at work or whatever and yet you never heard a complaint come out of Mel's mouth. And in her interview, you kind of get a sense of that relentlessness and the fact that she's after it, you know. And, um, yeah, so that would be my third recommendation. I think sort of one of the things that I wanted to know also was about what you think or what you feel that you might have learned from all of these interviews, all of these really sort of, you know, uh, passionate, engaged, successful, hardworking people. Obviously, you've talked about work ethic and commitment there, but obviously, you know, part of what we're trying to do in this podcast is to pull out those insights, those little hard-won um you know, experiences or maybe things that other people have passed on to them and that's maybe that's stuck with them and maybe motivated them through some of the hard things that they've uh, gone through. Again, I've got a few different points here. The first one is a little bit off, I think, what you would expect as advice, but um, just recently, and I think this year as a whole, one thing which has has been an overarching theme of this year in some respect is, is the gender debate. And for me, as a as a white British guy who doesn't who feels like I've come from the bottom and worked really hard to get to where I am, and to some degree I have, but what I've not realised in the past was maybe just that some things were in my favour a little bit, and I, and I didn't even know that. And because of some of the campaigns I've worked on and some of the people I've met, it's made me really introspect and also look at the circumstances that face others, and made me say, do you know what, maybe this isn't um, a fair game. And so that is certainly one aspect. And I think there's, for a lot of guys out there listening to this, you'll go, oh, you know, not not this again. Because I know that there's a lot of blokes out there that don't feel like they disrespect women at all. But what it is, it's not necessarily that the way men react to women, it's more the way that society as a whole depicts women. And that comes right back to childhood and, and the kind of films that they consume, right through to what their, what job roles are expected of them. So that that's a massive lesson for me this year. The the second one, which I think, again, is massively, massively important, and it's this idea of perception. And this is a lot more of a, a thing that anyone can implement into their own lives. And I've been on a little bit of a perception quest now for a couple of years to really understand like what is it that makes people be who they are? Uh, what is it that they give off that makes people believe in in the the narrative that they're, that they're portraying for themselves and ultimately what i've discovered is that perception is everything in, to some degree but that it can be shaped that it's very very malleable that um the only person that decides what how people perceive you is you to some degree and it doesn't matter what background you had you can decide one day that these are the, these are the types of traits these are the types of beliefs these are the types of things that I want to give off and portray to other people and and as long as you're self-aware enough to identify how you're being perceived by others you can start to shape that and I think that that's a really really powerful force um and the 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 last thing which I'll say and this has only really occurred to me recently is this idea of initiative and again it seems like such simple advice but as you know, one of the roles that I have to do quite often is work with young creatives. And when I look through their portfolio, oftentimes that it comes off of a brief that they've been given already. And when I look at my own portfolio, nearly 50% of it is self-initiated projects. And what I've realised over and over again, interviewing these amazing people, people like Will Hudson, people like Doc Brown, people like uh, Dave Bonaguidi, they've wanted something and they've gone after it and they've initiated it for themselves. They've not waited for permission. Um, They've had the initiative, and they've said, this is what I want, and then they actively go after it. Don't expect things to land on a plate. So those would be my three key takeaways from this year, I'd say. It's quite interesting, that final point there. I think all of the people since I've started, I met you and I've started working within advertising, so many of the people have said that very same thing, that if you want something to happen they did it for themselves or the people that they know around them that have done something of any sort of note also did the same thing and would hardly you know if not strongly encourage you to do the same of course you can you know keep ticking over and you can probably do a reasonably good job but if you want to get noticed if you want to do something genuinely interesting if you believe in something you have to push it and you have to make it happen yourself and i think just to so that people don't feel bad listening to this maybe 
going and getting a job is still that initiative as in if you if there's gaps in your learning that you still need to fill and one of the best ways to get that is to get in get experience in company then of course getting going and getting a job is is a massive a massive initiative but then if you're in that job and you're not getting the kinds of projects you want to be doing or there's parts of your life that aren't exactly how you want them to be it's up to you to make those changes and nobody else is going to make them for you so as simple as initiative is as, as advice it is vitally uh, important in terms of life progression and also helping you shape the world the way you want it to be it's not necessarily about success just life in general my next question is around authenticity so this is a a question i think you've been sort of asking for a while of various people to try and get to the heart of what it means does it mean anything what does it mean to different people do you think that you know you've you know spent like a good solid year now of talking to people not just doing the podcast but you've been talking you know at events met a lot of different people from different backgrounds are you any closer to having a a concept of what it might mean the best the best i've heard it described was by seth godin and he said that or it was something along these lines i'm probably going to mess it up but uh something that like authenticity is simply consistency of thought and action and that really con- uh authenticity isn't anything it's merely just you repeating actions over and over again and so tomorrow if i decide to be a punk and i and i wear punk gear for the next 10 years theoretically i'm authentic the problem i've always had with it is that especially in the industry that we're in in the communication industry people espouse authenticity all the time and that and authenticity is attached to things like uh natural wood and the the hipsters doing this whatever it's doing but to me authenticity is also that guy saying i want to get rich i want to go and sell thousands of this unit because i think it will do better for the world but he's in his dodgy trousers and his scruffy t-shirt and there's nothing about him that you would go ah oh, this is this is beautiful and it's uh it's authentic as the is the way we, we say it but he is being genuine uh, i know i know one of our guests simon gosling when he talks about the future he's a futurist and he says of course i'm doing this stuff because i love the prospect of what's in the future but i've also got three kids i need to get through university and the future pays well he's being authentic you, whereas a lot of people i know when he said that at the podcasting event that we held a couple like last month a lot of people looked to him and kind of frowned upon that opinion because it's like you what do you mean you're not doing it just for the art you know and that is a lot of people's view of percept um authenticity but to me authenticity is is your truth and being transparent um and regardless of whether that's something which is appealing to the masses or not that's my best description of it and as you rightly point out it's something i've been struggling with for a long time and i don't think there is a perfect answer but i think it's worthwhile to keep asking people because it's obvious that everyone has a slightly different opinion of it a slightly different uh, experience of it and if it's something that you feel is always sort of in the back of your head then why not why not keep yeah, keep exploring it. I think just to dig into that a little bit further and work out where that question's come for me because I think number 1 just asking questions is important and when I think of authenticity for me there's been a lot of crafting of my image as I said earlier this perception the way how do people perceive you uh, and that's malleable and so when I'm changing the way people are perceiving me am I being in, inauthentic and so the question there is um it, the it, in the way society is built today it can be advantageous to change your perception in order to work your way up the system assuming you see it as a system or the ladder or uh just get on in life and so you could say you're being inauthentic there but i think th- where i'm being honest with you about changing my perception to me that's my way of being authentic because i'm saying i know i'm playing a game but i'm being very transparent about it uh i'm just doing it purely to get on in life which i think a lot of people are also trying to do i'm i'm not trying to lie to anyone i'm merely trying to get on like we all are um so i think that's where the question initially arose because i didn't want to be fake to myself going to take a little bit of a, a little bit of a left turn here and 
maybe do more of a sort of a, a classic end of year question. Now, I I know that you're a huge fan of podcasting. I am myself, and obviously we you know we listen to lots of different um, uh, individuals, organisations, lots of different styles. It, you know, it covers an almost inexhaustible uh, range of subjects. And so, I just wanted to know if there were any podcast in particular that had inspired you this year i know you talk about lots of different um you maybe take some of the advice from some of the different podcasts about how to structure them and you know obviously you know, do interviews but just by in terms of inspiration that made you think wow what a medium i'd, I'd love being part of it i want to do more yeah that's you've completely changed what my answer was going to be because obviously there are all those shows that i listen to in order to be inspired in order to be better functioning at what i do day to day the ones which initially inspired me, um, three three people that come to mind instinctively. The first one is James Altucher. James Altucher I became aware of because I went through a stint of being really into minimalism and to some degree still am. I love all the philosophies, but James is a is a kind of he's a minimalist, he's also a serial entrepreneur, he's an ideas person and believes wholeheartedly in creativity. And but the thing which I really liked about him is that despite him being, I believe, on paper a multi-millionaire, he's still very uh, approachable, still is silly, still you can talk to him. He doesn't, he doesn't, feel, it doesn't seem like he, he thinks he's special and, and he's quite happy to make mistakes or to be wrong or to make a, uh, an idiot of himself. And I know, for example, that I'm not the best interviewer in the world but what I am is inquisitive, and I think I got some of those traits from him. Next person would be Tim Ferriss. Obviously, I'm I'm a massive uh, uh, what's the what's the word like self improvement junkie, I guess. And Tim Ferriss is the ultimate uh, god of self improvement junkies. Well, he, he lives it as he um, sort of preaches it, doesn't he? He literally throws his body into it, wasn't it? Didn't he? It was one of the martial arts that he managed to gets to the top of the rankings but it's because he'd basically worked out how to cheat the system and yeah. he openly admits it and obviously he said he could never compete in it again but he literally looked at how the system worked and then pushed it all the way till the to the end and that's that's commitment i think i think that's an amazing insight you've just pulled out because i think that can apply to everyone as well oftentimes you work within the confines of these are the rules and he just like you say he said well what can I do this? Well, there's no rule to say I can't do that. And if I, it's it's the example of the Frosby flop, I think it's called. So back in the day when people used to do high jump and they used to jump over it forwards until one guy started to jump over it backwards and started breaking all the world records. Um, and there was nothing to say you couldn't jump backwards. And, and so he completely changed the game. And I think one of the things that Tim Ferriss does very well is he is a cross-pollinator. So he doesn't just say, I'm, I'm a X, I'm a tech entrepreneur, I'm a designer, I'm a, a podcast host. He goes and he experiments with lots of things and he, and he cherry-picks the best of each of those disciplines that he can apply to his own life. And I think that is something that I continually endeavour to do in my own life. And then the third and final person uh, would have to be Sam Harris. And... Not because anything that I say is ever as intellectual or as interesting or as meaningful or potentially impactful in wider society as anything he has to say. But I realised a couple of years ago that debate is really important and to be able to have an open and honest conversation. And one thing that he does is he often tackles really touchy subjects and is prepared for the backlash and all that kind of thing. But he positions himself to say, look, I'm, I'm exploring these topics and I'm doing it for the betterment of all of us. And, like, for example, after the Justin Tindall thing, there'd be how many people are going to get into a booth and talk about gender, the gender debate when you are everything that the gender debate sees as wrong in the world to some degree? Um, but you do it because you have good intentions and you want to get to something and you want to bridge the gap for people. And unless there's people doing that, uh, those gaps or those bridges never get never get crossed. Um, yeah, so Sam Harris is, is another amazing person. Well, I just might sort of pick up on that because I think one of my sort of individual podcasts of the year was the Sam Harris interview with Scott Adams. I always get that slightly mixed up. Who is the author of Dilbert and 
Um, I think sort of an individual who is not afraid a little bit of controversy um, from time to time. And I think he's spoken out, not necessarily in defence of Trump, but he's he said, you know, let's not just dismiss him as some kind of lunatic. Let's look at how he got to president and he's using lots of very effective... Um, uh, you know, sort of ta- tactics to get there, and so let's let's actually acknowledge them for what they are. And so, actually, that conversation between those two, Sam Harris and Scott Adams, was one of the most fascinating podcasts that I'd heard in ages because of that very thing that you're talking about. They're actually having a genuine debate where they're not being uh, afraid to actually take those opposing views, but then continue as two sort of humans who are actually going to try and work out well, what do we, uh, you know, what do we think about this? How can we actually get to a point where we have some degree of conclusion? And you do it through, yeah, an open and honest debate, and I think that's and, uh, essential. I, I will agree with you massively. I mean, it'd be a massive contrarian, if that's the right word, uh, viewpoint to have that Donald Trump is smart in any respect. But after listening to that or uh, the Dilbert illustrator, yeah, I went and did a little bit more investigating, and I realised. There was a fantastic documentary on Netflix about uh, Donald Trump's uh, PR guy. I forget, it's something Stone. I highly recommend people go and watch it. But you realise that this guy is just a media, you know, he he's a media whiz. He knows how to play this game and he looks like an absolute imbecile and acts like an absolute imbecile. But the one thing you can't do is ignore him as the Apple ad says, you know, like... You can disagree with them, but you can't ignore them. And I think one of the things he brings up in the Dilbert interview is that just when you think he's uh, he's going to say something wacky, pushes it to an extreme so that when it falls short of what he said, it seems almost acceptable. And that's a real-life valuable insight that you can take from s- discussing, say, Donald Trump in a way that other people aren't having that discussion. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. So beyond the world of podcasting and into into the sort of wider world of creativity, which obviously is a is a hugely broad subject, has there been any um you know campaigns or you know individual pieces or maybe even just artists who've got for want of a better expression got your creative juices flowing this year? <laughs> um I am one of these ad people that doesn't like advertising, if you know what I mean, so I'm in it because I hate it, so I aspire <laughs> to try and make it better. Uh, but there's been a few things that I've particularly liked this year and I wouldn't say they're necessarily effective, but I just think they're, they're beautiful, beautiful campaigns. One of them is a recent one by, I think, I think you pronounce it Bose or Boss or the, the headphone manufacturer. It, it was done by Grey London, shot by Miles J who was the same guy that did the John Malkovich Squarespace ads. Which is absolute genius. Yeah. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful completely it's branded content you want to consume it you don't it's not something that's trying to disrupt you and they played with the space in a different way and miles J, as a director is just fabulous is the only word i can think to describe it right it's just he's the guy is is a genius with light and he knows how to make his subjects look so cinematic so beautiful um and so Going down the street on the bus in London, I'm looking at that six sheet because it's just a wonderful piece of art as well as a beautiful campaign. And obviously, I know that I'm looking at it differently to the, to the, to a standard consumer. But yeah, I, I give it its credit where it's due. The second one for me, and I'm not even sure if it came out this year, but it was the Apple AirPod commercial and it featured Down by Marion Hill. And I am not into music at all. Like I've said numerous times, I think that music isn't really my thing. But the tune on that song was exceptional. And it was a product demonstration video showing a guy kind of dancing against gravity, which was uh, like, you know, a very obtruse way of demonstrating the product benefit, which is the, the headphones don't have cords on them. And in the spirit of Apple, I thought it was just... Uh, a bit, a little bit rebellious, but beautiful, and like a great commercial. Whereas the one at Christmas that they brought out felt very samey with all the other stuff, and so um, not to diss Apple like, like that anyway. But yeah, the AirPod commercial uh, was was a particular favourite. And then 
aside from just campaigns, I think there's a couple of ideas which have really struck me this year. And I have uh, two people to thank for that. The first one is Paul Graham, who is the founder of Y Combinator. And he, if anybody isn't familiar, has published a series of essays which basically outline his principles or his thinking around a number of different topics. And they're really easy to read. But each one of them leaves you feeling more insightful about some element of the world. And he had this one idea, and I forget what he calls it, but I stole it and changed the name. And I call it the unforeseen universal, because I just think it sounds a little bit better. But the idea is that the best ideas in the world are uh, universal but unforeseen. And what I mean by that is you take some of the biggest companies that have emerged in recent years, things like Airbnb, Netflix or Uber. These are universal behaviours that have been adapted in a way that was unforeseen. So who would have thought that you're going to let people into your house? Who would have thought that you're not going to watch movies on DVD? It's going to be in, in the cloud or whatever. And that's what makes these ideas so big and so value-adding for so many people. So thank you, Paul Graham, for that one. And then the last one, just a, a, a thing that encourages people to keep digging deeper when it comes to ideas. And it's The Adjacent Possible by Stephen Johnson. And what this idea is, is just simply that ideas come from adjacent from the furthest possible point of where the idea has got to already. So it sounds a little bit complicated, but the best way to describe it is oftentimes you think that these, there's these giant leaps in technological innovation. But if you look at it on a more granular scale, they're just a number of little stepping stones. And each stepping stone has come from a place that was just just behind it. And so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're trying to come up with ideas, always exhaust your idea bank. You know, Never just stop at the first idea. Pu- keep pushing because oftentimes the best ideas come out of ideas that you never expected were going to be that a good insight was going to be there um and so that's from the book where good ideas come from by stephen johnson and it's quite a difficult skill that that's something i've been trying to sort of practice myself over the last sort of year and a half or so because there's always something in the back of your head saying that won't work for that reason and it's either because you know how a particular process works you know what other people will say yes or no to so you automatically discount something before you've even given it chance and actually i think that willingness to push something that willingness to just say well let's explore it let's see what come of it because you never know how someone's going to respond to it there might be an element that you can take out and become something quite interesting so it is that is a is a skill or a you know a muscle to develop well i think just to expand on that a little bit there's two things there number one is people in the creative industry always say it's easier to rein you back in than it is to push you out so if you're one of these people that just does the first thing that comes to your mind which everybody comes up with it's that's not gonna be the thing that helps you to stand out but the other thing is is yeah when you push when you push these ideas and you get to something which is completely interesting and unique they're the things which ultimately stand out and they're not always right we we, we know that but the the problem is is that people are afraid to, to, to say things that they think people will respond negatively to. And the sooner you can get over that fear to open your mouth and blurt out some rubbish, but with the confidence knowing that it's not a fully formed idea, that it, it, might, it might spark something later on. And when I say that, it might just be internally in your head you're spurting out this rubbish. You might, it's best not to do it in the middle of a meeting that's really important, but... The point is, is that you have to go there and you have to get comfortable in that, in the unknown and the thinking that people might look at it and think you're a bit weird or a bit obtruse. So to just finish off this section about things that, you know, you've experienced, heard, enjoyed over the course of the year, as someone who works in advertising, as someone who spends a lot of time looking at adverts, have you bought anything this year as a result of any of the adverts you've seen? I'd say... Definitely, although uh, I've really, I've, it's more I've bought into an ideology. And so where I wanted to take this, if possible, is just to talk about brands for a minute because I, kn- I know that I'm a massive uh, propagator of technology and I really believe in it, its power. But there's still power in a good brand. And the three brands that I think have really done it for me this year, or I'll start with the first two. The first is Rafa and the second is Finisterre. 
And a lot of people know Rafa and what they've done is they've taken what was a relatively boring sport not too long ago, cycling, uh, but that had some kind of interesting visual history, but that just was never really brought to the surface and celebrated in the right way like it should have been done. And they've completely owned that space. And as a result, they've built this absolutely incredible brand that makes anybody that stands in their clothing look 10 times better and more professional. And all of their communication, it isn't shouting out like amazing, brilliant stuff, but the people that are into cycling really enjoy it. Like if you're going to go to, I don't know, Amsterdam to go cycling, you're going to go on Rafa first to watch the cycle guide because there might just be something interesting there. And every time you do that, you're just ingraining yourself in the Rafa world. Um, the second one is a brand that people are less familiar with, but it's it's Finisterre. And where I'm from in North Devon, it's a, it's a cold water surfing brand and it's extremely popular. And I like to think it's because the products themselves are really good. And I, and I do believe that's the case. I think they're made in Germany and that kind of thing. But also they they... Uh, their marketing is about lifestyle and about being free and about getting out in nature and these are all things which part of me aspires towards you know and again these aren't people that have made giant leaps technologically but I think their brand is fantastic and I think people that are into that are into it and uh, they're a good case study for people that are looking to work out how to not just communicate with an audience but really develop a, a group of true fans like i really believe finisterre's products aren't cheap but they could bring out just about anything and there'll be a queue of people ready to buy it because they love what they're producing and then the third brand um is amazon and i just think that they are a formidable force at the moment looking at what they have to offer obviously this year i've bought a dot just to experiment with it because it was super cheap and I've absolutely loved that experience of having that in my house. And not only that, but their Amazon Prime thing that they've started to... You, you're literally within 10 to 15 minutes walking distance from an Amazon distribution depot at any one point, pretty much, if you live in a capital city now, which is absolutely unbelievable for a brand to be able to do that. Uh, they offer the music platform, which competes with Spotify, and now they're bringing out a lot of content, which is competing with Netflix. So I don't know. I, I I think that they're doing all the right things. And just in terms of life interests, I'm looking forward to seeing out how all these battles play out because they're, they're a real contender with a lot of big companies. It was quite interesting. I was doing the Christmas shopping, as you might imagine, on Amazon this weekend. And we just happened to look at the total spend, year on year total spend over the last four or five years and watch it steadily increase to the point where, I don't know, 80% of the shopping we do is on Amazon. It's like, well, where, when's the point going to be where it's 100% and you don't buy anywhere else? Well, it's interesting you say that. I heard a bit of a philosophy the other day, which was that the reason why they bought Whole Foods is one of the only big acquisitions that Amazon's ever made. And I think they bought that and they bought something else. I can't remember, but most of the stuff they bought has been either relatively cheap or not really that significant. But what Whole Foods is, is it's a, a big retail space close to pretty much every affluent family in, in the UK and I believe America. Um, and people are saying, you know, you're gonna because of the, the, the quickness in which they can deliver, it's likely that they'll just offer you all of your essentials. It'll come to you in a box. What anything you don't want, you put out, they pick it up. And that basically all of the things that you you have to go to a shop to buy and it's monotonous and you've got to stand in a queue and it's pain in the ass. Amazon will do all of that stuff. And so your year-on-year year, year, year spend will, will significantly increase. Now, that's not a simple, uh, not a hard thing to implement for a big company like them who've already proved themselves on so many other levels. And that will only make them stronger. I I see them as the, the one to, to want to beat at the moment and... As I say, there's going to be people out there that are going to have to go head-to-head with them, otherwise it's global domination for Amazon, I think. In this section, Ricky Richards recommends, we get out the crystal ball and look ahead into the misty clouds of 2018. Now, we've heard a lot this year about augmented reality, mixed reality, voice command, and how they, amongst other technologies, are going to 
impact how we interact with the world around us and each other. So my question to you is, should we believe the hype? Uh, I'll start by saying that I think I'm quite risk averse, despite the fact that I do lots of things and try lots of things and fail at a lot of things. And I think that the best position to be in is to believe that these things are going to happen regardless of if they do, because to be prepared for if they do, because if, if they do, you're likely on a rocket ship. And so be prepared for them and, and uh, have, have an offering which makes sense, because oftentimes these things are like a land grab. Think about domains before they became readily available. Like whoever owns very short .com domains or... Um, I'm trying to think, like, you're getting into cryptocurrency early. I mean, that would have been that would have paid off pretty well. Or uh, just like any of these new technologies, oftentimes it's the it's the people that are there in the beginning tend to be the ones which win win out. To actually answer your question, I, I'll share with you just a, a bit of speculation I have, and it came to me when so I was watching Bloomberg the other day. And what was really fascinating was it showed you the breakdown of Apple's revenues. When we're talking about hardware and things like augmented reality, there's obviously a couple of big players, Samsung, Google, uh, Apple, etc., Microsoft, etc. But Apple, which are leading the way in terms of sales, 60% of their sales come through smartphones and another 20% come through laptops or that or around those figures. That's a large percentage of their revenue. Now... In augmented reality in particular, a lot of the things that you can do on a mobile phone or on a laptop computer, you, the, the early prototypes and the really rudimentary examples to date use the same kind of user interfaces that your mobile or your laptop does. So you could, you could expect if these things ever reduce in size like our mobiles did and our laptops did and our TVs have and all of those kind of things, and they ever become to a point where it could fit inside a contact lens or on your face as glasses, well, that's going to, for a lot of people, that will take away those, those interfaces. And that's a real threat to a big company with a large revenue. And so my guess is, is that all of these big players are, are fighting hard behind the scenes to get a good offering in those spaces because it has the potential, regardless of whether it actually materialises, it has a potential to. Um, and so I would say that's a, that's a clear indicator. The second thing I would say is battery has been a massive thing for a long time, and it still is. Um, Elon Musk is making waves in that space. But uh, the, big, the big one for me, which has shown some uh, sign of hope for, for, for battery life, is the, is the AirPods. And it's not so much the wireless technology of the buds you put in your ears, which is exciting, but it's the little power pack that you carry them around in. Because you can imagine a glasses device, for example, that comes in a carry case that charges them as you move. And that would kind of get you over the hurdle of having to charge them every five minutes, for example. And uh, again, these are all very rudimentary in the grand scheme of things and technology moves so fast. But I would say... It has a lot of hope, so uh, believe the hype. And uh, if you're a company owner or the brand marketer, be interested in those spaces because it could seriously impact your business. Well, I guess that sort of seamlessly segues into the next question, which is what these technologies and the, what they could potentially do. What does it What does it mean for creatives? Is this, you know, is it a new frontier? Would you say? Or is it just simply another way to connect with people? Is it is it going to revolutionise the way that they can connect with us or creatives can connect with you know an audience? I think, as I mentioned earlier about Rafa and Finisterre, brand and all of the communication surrounding brand are still vitally important for creating positive affinity between a product and, and you. One thing I will say is... Um, if a competitor comes along which has an equally as attractive brand but the product is significantly better, oftentimes it's coming with a lot of venture capital money as well, so it's going to be in front of your eyes. These aren't upstarts. Um, or they are upstarts, but they're upstarts with money. Uh, it doesn't take a lot for people to change their behaviours. The, our loyalty to brands, as much as we like to believe they're strong, is actually, I don't believe that strong. I think that... Um, 
you know, as soon as you realised you could go and stay in a really cool house in the centre of Paris instead of booking a really expensive hotel, people moved to Airbnb. Or as soon as you realised you could have every uh, film at, at your fingertips rather than going and buying a DVD, people moved to Netflix. And what people don't realise necessarily is that when technology increases, the cost to compete goes down. So... um However many years ago, if you wanted to start a business or whatever, it would cost you a lot of money. And you'd have to have, oftentimes you'd have to have a physical space to do it. Nowadays, people are creating businesses on their laptops and, uh, you know, creating technologies which can compete with the big boys. Uh, like with just rudimentary, or well, not rudimentary technology, but just the technology that everyone has access to. And uh, so that... For me, when it comes to the creative, <laughs> sorry to answer your question, to me, I think that technology has a lot more potential than people give it credit for. If you can come up with a way to change people's behaviour in a positive way, uh, then that has all all out power as far as I can see, as long as it's accompanied with good brand. I think maybe one of the things that I had in mind was, it's a very sort of basic example, but MailChimp. Yeah. So when first I'd used MailChimp, not only aesthetically was it completely different to any of the other CRMs that would use, but also in terms of the user journey, it was so much simpler. But the language that was used, you know, oops. And I, I can't necessarily think of some, some great examples just off the top of my head now, but the, the language was so much more relaxed. It was friendly, it's, it's collegial, we're friends, you know, we're all in the same boat together. And all of a sudden, even though obviously, you know, a little bit down the line, you realise that now everyone uses that and it seems somewhat patronising. That was the very first time where all of a sudden we thought, oh, there's some genuine thinking behind this someone's actually given some time over to the creatives and said how can we make this better how can we make it more enjoyable easier or more friendly how can we keep people here for longer and that's that was maybe one of the ways that i thought creatives were you know allowed to do that for sure and i think let me give you one example where i think that's been extremely powerful but this is this is would never come out of a creative agency is um say GoDaddy, super bland brand that sells domains and they've come out with some pretty eye-catching commercials in the past. But I tell you, the one thing which makes GoDaddy better than all other domain provider services is its um, customer care. If you receive a phone call from GoDaddy, it's, ten, it's like nine times out of ten, a guy you can understand who you feel like he's the, your mate from the pub. And he's like, is there anything else I can do for you, sir? Oh, I hope you have a great day. You know, like, And all of a sudden... You just feel like, oh man, GoDaddy are awesome, man. Like if if I've got any problems, I'm going to phone them up. They're one of the only people you don't fear phoning up because you know you're going to get on the phone. They're going to resolve your super complicated problem with a very very simple solution in absolutely no time. And that is language. That's the power of brand. Um, but how cool would it be for a creative to say, do you know what I think your problem is? Is that in the lifetime of a customer, 40% of people have to phone up your service and your customer care is dog shit. <laughs> so how about you put some really cool people at the helm of your customer care and, and help make that a positive relationship and maybe your lifetime value of a customer goes up. But that is something that nobody suggests, you know. And I think that that's the way the industry is going to start to change is people realise that the user journey and the touch points that a customer goes through are vitally important. And that's one of the things in the last episode with Lou and Lizette, I talk about this podcasting studio, like from the moment people walk in the building, they're treated like gold dust. And I think that's been one of the secrets as to why they've built this successful business. And um, yeah, to your point, I think that's really important. I get super passionate about these things. <laughs> I think being made to feel welcome is one of the most valuable things you can ever do when you're running a business. And you, you you see it when you go into any pub, the ones that you go back to are the ones where the 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 barman or the you know the landlord welcomes you, engages you in conversation, actually pays attention to you. I'm not saying they sit yeah sit there listening to you all night. They've got a business to run, but it it makes it seem like they want you there, and you can almost forgive everything if they actually seem like they want you there. Well, because I think yeah, a big part of our a big trouble that we have is everything needs to be measured to some degree. And you can't measure the fact that when me and you leave a pub, that we then get, like say how awesome it was because the barman was wicked or 
uh, I leave a job and I say how amazing my boss was and he's great to work for. And it's all of those things which over the amount of times you interact with people and those those effects ruminate. And some you meet somebody and you say, maybe you say Rick's an arsehole, but hopefully not. Hopefully you say Rick's a really nice guy and he's really inquisitive, he's curious. And then they, when they interact with me for the first time, that react that interaction's different based on the thing that they've been told prior. And I think that is a massive part of brands and brand building. It's really hard to measure that that positive sentiment. Yeah, I'm not sure if I've got to any point there, but ho- hopefully that expands on what you were saying. Um, I think the one of the final questions I had in this section was it's quite an open question, but I know that you do a lot of research and you you know you look you do look ahead quite a lot. Are there I'd say like new tech aside, are there any things that you're looking forward to in 2018 in particular? Um, it, it's things that I'm looking forward to in 2018. Um, one thing which I've noticed this year, and I think it will continue going into next year, and this is just a very personal one, is that people are starting to realise that you can brand stuff and, and it makes it nicer. So I'll give you a, a, one perfect example of this is chocolate. Uh, just a couple of years ago, you didn't have fancy pants, hipster chocolate with nice labels and different flavours and... And uh, again, I think it's, I'm looking forward to where people take really lame stuff, hand soap and uh, boxes of tissues and cups that you hold or, you know, just like really basic stuff and go, do you know, what? we're going to, we're going to give this thing care and we're going to give it craft and people are going to like it for that reason. And they know that they're not going to change the world necessarily, but they're going to get a bunch of people that really like what it is they produce and they'll be sustainable and successful because of it. And so I'm looking forward to that. And to the point about touch points, I think one thing that uh, techies all over the world are asking is, what are people's pain points? And they're building businesses off of pain points. And so what that means is is that everything in our lives, to some degree, is going to simplify because people are just going to look for anything where we just talked about it earlier, having to go to the supermarket and queue up to get our groceries. Well, that's going to get sorted because nobody wants to be doing that. People have got better things to be doing. And so I'm just looking forward to life becoming simpler through other people's ingenuity. Ingenu- is that right? Is that, is that a word? Ingenuity, yeah. Ingenuity, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking forward to branding and simplification. So this is the final part of the show where we go into quickfire mode in Ricky Richards Reacts. So I think we may well have gone over our 45 minutes uh, allotted time, so we'll try and keep it uh, nice and quick in the quickfire round. Ricky, are you ready? I am always ready. Okay, podcast of the year. Dave Bonaguidi, uh, for the reason that he points out the importance of being silly. Aside from my own, I'd like to point out Sam Harris's uh, What Jihadis Really Want, episode 43, very interesting episode, and Joe Rogan with Guy Ritchie, episode number 956, which is, yeah, it just kind of explores what it is to go through your, the journey, the journey of the hero, which is all of us to some degree. I should be listening. Advert or campaign of the year? For me, campaign of the year was the refugee flag by Ogilvy, where they took a life jacket and they, uh, the colours of it, orange and black, and they turned it into a flag which represented the the refugees which didn't have a country during the Olympics. Well, that was super smart. And it reminded me a little bit of John Julian, uh, John Julian's Peace for Paris logo. Very different projects, but they encapsulated a movement with a really powerful symbol that will go down as in design history for its iconicness. I asked this one because you always ask other people. Newsletter of the year. A chap called Kevin Rose. Uh, he's an investor, an entrepreneur, and he also does a thing called The Journal, and he releases it once a month, so nothing too taxing. It's very short, uh, but he always suggests some really great products and things you should check out. Person of the year. I'm going to say Jack Fresco. So Jack Fresco was the des- uh, the creator of The Venus Project, which is a resource-based economy. For some, from the outset, it maybe looks a little bit communist, but I think his his vision was extremely idealistic 
and he's the most one of the most wisest human beings I think there is in exist or was in existence. Unfortunately, he died this year. Um, but I encourage everyone to go and check him out and watch all of his videos because um, you'll be a better person because of it. High praise indeed. Book of the year. I've got two just because fiction and non-fiction. Um, the first one is The Tower of Seneca and I've kind of got into Stoic philosophy, got got into it through Tim Ferriss and he's converted The Tower of Seneca, which is um, Stoic philosophy book, that is basically just the guide to life and the way you should kind of approach all of life's problems. And he's turned it into a 40-hour audio book, which is, which is hench, I agree. But I think what I will say is, listen to it, write notes on the tidbits of information, and just, if, if you're ever commuting, just fill your ears with this, the, this, these words of wisdom. It's not hard. It sounds like it's going to be really esoteric and hard to understand, it's actually extremely approachable and it's been a game changer for me personally. And the second one, my girlfriend encouraged me to read a non-fiction book. And so I found a sci-fi book recommended by Kevin Kelly and it's called Demon by Daniel Suarez. And I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, and it's all about, it talks a lot about augmented reality and virtual reality and technology. And so right up my street. So if anyone's into that, check out that. Cool. And our, in a in classic Ricky parlance, uh, final, final, final question. <laughs> what can people do to live a happy and more meaningful life? I'm going to start with some words from uh, Stay Positive by The Streets, and that is, I hate helping you climb the ladder. I'm busy climbing mine. That's how it's been since the dawn of time. And that is a prelude to my actual bit of advice, which is don't wait, make it happen. Uh, and I want to say that because we're all going to die. And the question is, do you want the world to be a better place for having existed? And I know that I certainly do. And if anybody listening to this does too, then I would encourage them to go out and do something about it. So don't wait, make it happen. Sound advice indeed. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining me on Adam Hallow's Represents. <laughs> thank you so much, mate, for being here this year and helping me with everything. And to the guys, uh, James and Frankie, to Lou and Lizette for, for letting me host the show and for anybody that's actually listening to this honestly we did a podcast show this year uh, that went down extremely well and we're hopefully going to take this into next year there's going to be a few changes but um, all in all it's been a really successful year and thank you so much to everyone who's helped with it so thank you guys cool thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to subscribe and share I'd also like to invite you to an ongoing project called the Move Me mailing list. If you enjoyed the show, I'm confident you'll enjoy this newsletter. It contains links to all the great content I've uncovered each month, along with insights of any interesting opportunities I've discovered. You can subscribe to this by visiting my website at rickyrichards.com. A special thanks to Frankie Byrne and James Utting. They're the tech heads that make this show possible. The intro music was composed by Dom Stores Fox. And thanks again to Reese Chapman for introing me to Lou and Lizette, the wonderful folks at Factory Studios in London, where this show is recorded. Finally, wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a great day and keep creating. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>